Well, we are blessed today to hear from uh, Mr. Wentley Phipps. Uh, Mr. Phipps was born in Trinidad, West Indies, and was raised in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. He received his Bachelor of Arts degree from uh, the Oakwood University and his Master of Divinity degree from Andrews University and holds multiple honorary doctoral degrees. He's a world-renowned vocal artist, twice nominated for the Grammy Award, education activist, motivational speaker, author, pastor, for more than 35 years, has traveled the world delivering messages of hope, advocacy, and equality to thousands. He also serves as senior pastor in Florida after serving several churches in the Washington, D.C. area. He is the founder and CEO of the U.S. Dream Academy, a nonprofit organization that provides mentoring and tutoring to children of incarcerated parents and children falling behind in school. It's my privilege to introduce him today because the last time I was in the same room with him, it was not a chapel service or a concert setting, but it was a funeral. Uh, when I graduated back in the dark ages from what was then Marion College, I went as part of a church planting team to Grand Rapids, Michigan. As a side note, I think every student, when they graduate, no matter what your, uh, what your major or what your marriage, uh, ought to be part of a church planting team wherever you go and serve in that way. When I went to that church... And in just a couple of years, at a very young age, became the lead pastor. There was a woman, 70-plus years of age, so successful in business, traveled the world, who saw something in me. And she became a mentor in my life, always referred to me so respectfully, opened so many doors. And I was so deeply touched by this woman's belief in me more than certainly I had any sense of that in myself. Her name was uh, Bernice Hansen Gilbert. She lived almost a hundred years and uh, so was blessed to have her in my life. And at her uh, life celebration service, uh, Mr. Wentley Phipps came and did the music. And I saw him minister to a family in a very uh, special time in their life. And I thought, this is not only a person who is on the stage at inaugurations and appears with people like Oprah Winfrey, but is also someone who cares for people in their time of need. You're going to be blessed today. Why don't you welcome him as he shares with us? got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world 
in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the wind and the rain in his hands. He's got the wind and the rain in his hands. He's got the wind and the rain in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the little bitty baby in his hands. He's got the little bitty baby in his hands. He's got the little bitty baby in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, brother. In his hands, he's got you and me, sister. In his hands, he's got you and me, brother. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got everybody here. In his hands, he's got everybody here. In his hands, he's got everybody here. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his talking like this. <laughs> you really messed up my father. If you can imagine your 14, 15 year old saying, hey dad, how you doing this <laughs> morning? I am just absolutely excited to be here today. Uh, 
First of all, I want you to know that I live in Florida. I tried to bring you some sunshine and warmth, but it didn't work. Now, I, I first I must tell you that I'm grateful for the invitation from your administrators and president and vice president of this institution. And I try not, I'm going to do a little bit of music. I'm going to kind of throw things all over the place. I'm just going to let God lead me, if that's okay. I, I'm, I'm going to speak a little. I'm not going to speak too long because I learned for a message to be immortal, it doesn't have to be eternal. But I, I've been blessed in my life. I've had a very unusual life and career. On the same page on my resume, you'll see Billy Graham Crusades. For 25 years, I traveled with Billy Graham. And on the same page, you'll see Saturday Night Live. You'll see Robert Shuler's Our Power, and you'll see Soul Train. I know y'all don't know what Soul Train is. No. No. A man called me up one day. He said, I heard you singing this song about giving your life to God, and I'd like for you to sing that song on Soul Train. I said, how's this man going to get me on Soul Train? So he called up the host of Soul Train, Don Cornelius, and said, I want you to put this young man on Soul Train. Don Cornelius said, I'm sorry. I can't put anything religious on Soul Train. And I said, well, all you got is young people dressed funny, you know, and just bumping into each other. You remember the lion dance? And what this young man is trying to say in his music, those are the very young people who need to hear it. Don Cornelius, the host, said, I can't put anything religious on Soul Train. The man said, listen, Don, my name is George Johnson of Johnson Products Company, you know, and my show, my company has been back in your show for the last eight years. Next thing I knew, I was the first gospel artist <clears throat> on Soul Train. But those are not the greatest accomplishments in my life. Greatest accomplishment in my life is this, this black man has worked with all his heart Provide nurture for three African-American sons and has worked with all his heart to make their mother the most supremely happy woman in the world. I want you to meet my wife. She's here somewhere. Linda, won't you just wave, stand. There's my wife, my wife, Linda. <clears throat> We've been married for 40 years, and I told her, if she ever leaves me, I'm going with her. <laughs> Come with me just for a minute to the summer of 63, 1963. The United States was in the midst of deepening social strife. The eyes of the world were on this young nation still trying to come to terms with the vexing legacy of slavery, racial division, and legal segregation. In the summer of 63, whites and blacks were marching together 
And yes, dying together, seeking to break the back of hatred, prejudice, bigotry, and injustice. They were trying to shore up what they saw as an essential pillar of the American dream, the pillar of brotherhood. The summer of 63, newspapers all around the world carried headlines reporting on the constant clashes between demonstrators and police, dogs, fire hoses, tear gas. All these were familiar scenes on the nightly news. Young students like yourselves were being beaten at lunch counters because they wanted to be served in places where there were signs saying that people who had my paint job were not allowed to be served. The homes of many of the leaders of the movement were being bombed. In 1963, Medgar Evers, a prominent civil rights leader, was assassinated in the doorway of his home. And I've been blessed to meet so many of those leaders. I want to tell you about a few of them, but Mrs. Evers, who I know, even after all these years today, you can still see the wound that never heals. In 1963, that same year, President Kennedy became the first president to declare that segregation was wrong. Some of 63 was a tense, pivotal moment in America's history, and it all culminated in an epic march on Washington. And that day, a quarter of a million people of all races, all ethnic backgrounds, waited in the sweltering August heat to hear the voice of America's modern-day prophet of nonviolence, a modern-day prophet of brotherhood. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. stepped up to the podium, the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, and delivered what would go down in history as one of the greatest appeals to the conscience of any nation. With consummate eloquence, Dr. King challenged America to live out the meaning of its creed that all men were created equal, and that they were endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, rights of life and liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And, and with that speech, Dr. King changed the course of American history. This nation would never be the same again. And if you have never read it, and I would, many of us have heard it, but you got to read it. And I'll tell you a little something that most people don't know. That near the end of his speech, Dr. King had labored with some very important prepared texts. But his favorite gospel singer, Mahalia Jackson, 
saw that he was laboring with this prepared text. And, and as they often do in black churches, she shouted out to Dr. King, tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him about the dream. And Dr. King, in one of those rhetorical flourishes that would go down in history, began what would become the most memorable speech, one of the most memorable speeches in all of American history. I have a dream. In that speech, he said, I have a dream that one day the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. Now, some people think it was so long ago, it wasn't, slavery was not that long ago. You met my wife, she doesn't mind me telling you, she looks 33, but she's 63. But her grandfather was a slave in America. My wife's not her great, 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 her grandfather. My wife's father was born in the late 1800s. And his father was born early in the 1800s, a slave. He was a runaway slave from Virginia. We, I, I tell people jokingly, he ran the wrong way. He ran to Florida. That's because the Seminole Indians in Florida would harbor and protect runaway slaves who were able to make it to Florida. More than ever before, Dr. King's dream of brotherhood is needed in America now. Students, I beg of you today, you cannot allow this dream of brotherhood to die. It's, it's a great dream. It's an American dream. My friend, Dr. Billy Graham, once said that America's problem is that it has become a neighborhood without becoming a brotherhood. And we must do our part to help this ethnically diverse nation, the most diverse on earth, live out the meaning of brotherhood. We as Americans have to learn how to live Dr. King's dream today. In 1964, I'll give you a little bit of beautiful history. In 1964, at the Methodist Student Leadership Conference held in Lincoln, Nebraska, Dr. Martin Luther King spoke and said these words to the students. He said to them, we must all learn to live together as brothers or we will all perish together as fools. This is a great challenge, but we can do it. America has always done things no one has ever done before. We put a man on the moon. 
Wilbur Wright and Orville, Wilbur from Millville, Indiana, put men in flight. I believe we can live together as a brotherhood. Before I finish my remarks, I want to say that the greatest human beings I know are the ones who were champion for champions for brotherhood. It was my honor to be the last one to sing Amazing Grace for Mother Teresa before she died. Great champions for brotherhood. Dr. Billy Graham, who I've known for many years, as an evangelist in the South when they were putting in his crusades black worshipers on one side and white worshipers on the other side. Dr. Graham said, I will not preach unless they worship together. February 1990, February 8th, 1990, I landed in Johannesburg, South Africa. The next day I was in the office of Dr. F.W. de Klerk, the president of South Africa. And he said to us, you've come a long way to tell us apartheid is wrong. He said, but I want you to know you're preaching to the choir. We know it's wrong. We need time to change it. He didn't tell me that the very next day he had a secret meeting with Nelson Mandela to inform him that the day after that he was announcing to the world that he would be released the day after that. So it was my honor to be in the crowd that welcomed Nelson Mandela when he came out of prison. But you must know this champion of brotherhood, Nelson Mandela, was a product of a Methodist education. I encourage you, sons and daughters of this institution, stand with the great champions of brotherhood. Rise to the occasion. Love your neighbor as yourself. I want to do a song. I'm going to kind of throw my friend a curve. Uh, the one I said I was going to leave out, I'm going to do. About 35 years ago, I was singing in Baltimore, Maryland. I came down off the platform. A young lady was standing there. She said, excuse me, sir. I just heard you sing. I feel like I can talk to you. Do you have time to talk to me? I said, sure. She came by our home. We talked prayed together. And after praying with her, I looked at her and I said, before you go, I don't know why, but God has impressed me to tell you he's going to bless you and give you an opportunity to speak to millions of people. She said, no, you think God would do that for me? And it was Oprah Winfrey. And that's how we met 35 years ago. And so I wrote Miss Winfrey and I said, 
I, I was honored to speak at the opening of her school for girls in South Africa. I said, I want to do a song of brotherhood. I want to do a song that brings the girls singing and playing their drums. In, in her school, the girls play the African drums. And so we recorded a song. I just feel I want to share it to you. Kumbaya. Just let it run. These are the girls playing the drums. Is that okay? Come on, you can bring it up. Let 
just know that you are near. Kumbaya. I got to do one more thing. Watch this. Almost every Negro spiritual, you can play it. They were written on the black notes of the piano. Watch this real fast. There are five black notes on the piano. And they keep recurring. And you can play almost any Negro spiritual. Just play those black notes. Watch. That's every time I feel the spirit. How about this one? Swing low, sweet cherry. That's because the slaves didn't come over here with do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, di, do. That's somebody else's kid. All they had in their musical scale were those five black notes. We know it as the pentatonic scale. And they built all the spirituals on those five black notes. When you study music, you come across what are known as white spirituals. And often they are white composers who would work with that scale. I want to play you what some think is the most famous white spiritual built on the slave scale. song was written by a man by the name of John Newton. The words were. But John Newton, before he became a Christian, was the captain of a slave ship. And many thought he may have heard or someone may have heard this melody that sounds like a West African sorrow chant. I want them to play that amazing grace. I hum the first verse. The way I imagine John Newton first heard it coming up out of the belly of a slave ship.
the rich like me. Thank you, Pastor Phipps. Our hearts are overflowing, and thank you for your message. I uh, want to thank Broad Ripple uh, Magnet Choir this morning. want to thank Director Rodney Bryant, and to our General Superintendent. Thank you for being here this morning. We are so thankful for that. Now, you all just got a sampling of what's in store for tonight. 
So we ask that you come back at 7 o'clock. But let's remember today, we're living the dream. And God is good to us. So this brotherhood continues to grow and strengthen. If you will, join me in prayer for the benediction. Father God, we thank you for today. Thank you for the song. Thank you for the message. Let the dream continue to be a part of our everyday living. We thank you, Lord, for everything. We thank you for the peace and for the hope. Now, dismiss us from this service, but never for your, your presence. In the precious name of your son, Jesus, I pray. Amen.